0: Welcome to Hedge Fund Tips with Tom Hayes. I'm Tom Hayes and this is our 89th video cast and 79th podcast for the week ending July 1st, 2021. Happy 4th of July weekend coming up uh, for everyone. And want to kick it off, we've uh, been on the road a little bit. Our kids had a uh major swim meet in tampa once again we're in tampa first time we were here it was the super bowl so we went there second time uh it was wrestlemania so we went there for the first time that was more fun than we expected uh and this time uh we were here for the stanley cup so we took advantage of that as well and this is me with my eldest mimi on jet ski she likes to go fast Uh, And we certainly did that. It wasn't quite as fast for those of you who have been with me for a while. uh, When I was down in Captiva, uh, we talked about uh, ones that were really, really fast. But these topped out at about 50 miles per hour. It was uh, clear water. We just had a blast. So so that was that. And they did well in the meets. So uh, the eldest got all personal best times for all of our races and the uh, seven-year-old uh annabelle she picked up her first medals and quite a number indeed uh she is uh doing great so we're very proud of them and then we uh we got to the stanley cup this was the uh last night this was uh face this is a family. Uh, This is who I ran into in the bathroom, (laughs) Tony Robbins, of all people. And it was funny because we had the same mentor, a a guy named Jim Rohn. And for some of the younger people uh, that are listening in, I'd strongly suggest you go to YouTube and type in Jim Rohn. I think he had a tape set challenge to succeed Uh, way back when I was listening to that in my 20s and uh, had some time to work with him in in my mid-20s and really made a marked difference on uh, how things turned out. So I would uh, strongly uh, emphasize So it was really nice to meet Tony Robbins. I listened to his tapes when I think I was 17 years old. I was a senior in high school working as a golf caddy. And uh, a lot of changes happened from those tapes. So for everyone that makes fun of the guy on at one in the morning on the infomercials, I think he's made a positive difference in a lot of people's lives. And it was just uh, really nice to to bump into him at uh, at the arena last night. Uh, that's another picture with the girls and then, uh, Stanley Cup ice sculpture. By the way, if you ever get down to Tampa, they have this setup called the fire stick grill. Uh, it's like one floor up and they do this whole spread, uh, special spread before the game. And if you ever have a chance to participate and there's Mimi, uh, making funny faces, uh, definitely take advantage. And then this was the place that absolutely went crazy when they won last night. Um, and uh going to have to start to, uh, uh, you know, bribe me to come down for these big games, because uh, when I was here for the Super Bowl, they won. Now the Stanley Cup, uh, you know, there are a few games in. They won 3-1 last night. They still got uh, to win a little bit more to get the Cup back home. But uh, nonetheless, good time. So moving right along, um, want to get into some data here. All the, the next Three charts I'm going to show you are from Ryan Dietrich over at LPL Financial. Uh, this first one, he shows the seasonality. You know, everyone knows about the worst six months of the year are uh, QT, sell in May and uh, go away. So basically, um, May through October. And it shows distinctively here those months, you know, August, September, October tend to be the the choppiest and tend to have the lowest results. So uh, something to keep keep your eye on moving forward and something that we're um, focused on our positioning to take advantage of moving forward as well. Uh, This is shows that July is very strong in post-election years. These are the average monthly returns from 1950 to 2020. Uh, and it shows that July is strong and and, uh, we're positioned for that. And then here, this is very interesting. The first six months indicator, if the S&P 500 is up 12.5% year to date after six months, Bulls usually smile. The median return, the average return for the remainder of the year is another 7.1%. The median is 9.7% and 75% of the time uh, since 1950 has been positive. So so that bodes very well. Now we're going to skip over to the ask me anything questions. Uh, starting with Greg Stewart, uh want to say, once again, I have to say your video cast this week was just great. And it makes it so easy to be patient and calm to slowly build my portfolio with good value investments. That said, after this week, I'm thinking I might need to rebalance a little. Here's my basic breakdown. It was grouped by sector, 20% utilities, 20% big pharma, 20% staples. 10% energy, 10% financials, 10% defense and aerospace, 10% China. Each group is one half ETF, one half individual stocks, for example. Uh, for utilities, XLU 10%, also D 5%, AEP 5%, Pharma's 10%, uh, Pfizer's 5%, Novartis is 5%, XLP 10%, uh, Clorox 5%, uh, uh, Kimberly Clark Obviously, I'm listening to what you're doing with your individual stocks. Uh, Anyway, I'm of the opinion that defensive stocks, utilities, pharma staples should do well when the tapering and inflation start. But I'm thinking my money would do better in tech over the summer. Would it make sense to trim the big three and add some tech, probably Amazon or Netflix or even Baba? Or do I just wait for new money to add to tech? Um, Okay, so first off, Great question from Greg. I think this is going to help a lot of people. Uh, First off, I can't advise you on your portfolio as I don't know your situation. It's not what I do. I run a long, short uh, equity portfolio, separately managed accounts for accredited investors and qualified institutions. So they have a different risk tolerance. Uh, However, uh, I can give you my opinion. And as um, for timing, which you pointed to, I'd expect utilities, pharma, and staples to see some renewed interest sooner rather than later. Not when tapers imminent. Actually, uh, just the opposite. Sooner, when rates are subdued, uh, low rates make their yields more attractive. And I think we're we're stuck in this range, which we're going to go into in the article of the week. Um, Amazon's already moved quite a bit since we started talking about it several weeks back. So that might take a breather. Uh Bob is my highest weight in the group, followed by Netflix and a distant third behind Splunk on the tech side. They've also had huge moves, so I might wait for some uh, pullbacks on those before I start start to get involved. Uh, for the weights, you know, you, you just want to um, keep in mind, you know, one of the things you can do is go to State SSGA, State Street's website and take a look at the sector spider ETFs and it shows you the weights of each in the S&P 500. So you know, 20% utilities and 20% staples is a huge overweight uh, and 10% uh, tech, which you don't have explicit exposure uh, is a huge underweight. So you're really taking a huge sector bet uh, materially with these size weights. That said, um, uh, I would per- I would be comfortable running a similar allocation personally. So um, you know that that's all I can say to that point. I think you're I think you're timely here, and as profits come, you need to adjust and take down exposure as these things as some of these things start to rip. I think it's a really valuable question. It shows you've really been following for a long time. And um, and I personally would be comfortable with that type of exposure uh, in, in what we've done. And uh, I think that's comes come through pretty loud and clear in recent weeks and months. Um, okay, uh, Carter Benson. Hello, Mr. Hayes. Your podcast gives great insight in how one should be thinking about the market as a whole. A question for today regarding regards the very interesting scenario regarding tencent holdings naspers and tencent music naspers is currently trading roughly a 90 billion market cap while their stake in tencent holding is worth 230 billion firstly does tencent music have any effect on this as it is an american traded adr where naspers and tencent holdings are not traded on any u.s exchanges next i assume acquiring naspers gives you a margin of safety however Will you be able to extract the intrinsic value from NASPERS? Thank you. Okay, so this is a really quality analysis. Uh, I haven't done a lot of analysis on NASPERS. I briefly looked at it after, after looking at your question. Uh, uh, NASPERS, you can buy on the pink sheets uh, or you can buy directly uh, internationally, uh, which complicates it a bit for a lot of investors. However, um, as with all Chinese stocks, you want to have this in a basket because you just never know what's going to happen regulatorily or, you know, either in the U.S. or in China. So there is a risk. You always want to think of it in a basket. That said, I do like this analysis and I would add this name into a basket if I had to. Now, I have Baba is now our largest actual notional position uh so i have enough chinese exposure so i'm not you know d- doing black backflips to get exposure but if you're just building uh chinese exposure new and bob kind of gotten away from you because it's rallied a bit um and some of the others um, you may have missed like xpeng and um if you were doing neo and that type of stuff, uh, and you feel like you 've missed the early stage of the move. this might be a way to get exposure. I think it's interesting. I think there's a decent margin of safety. I think it has enough a track record, and I like your analysis Carter so uh, uh, i I personally would would feel pretty comfortable having it in a basket of you know three four five five Chinese names. I like the timing of it, and I like the thought process behind it so good good work on that. Uh, John Diamond. Hi, Tom. Great shout out for your video cast. We look forward to the party in Connecticut when Baba reaches 420 in June of 2020. Ha ha ha. Okay, this is interesting. You know, when I saw these Alibaba um, uh, call options at a 420 strike, I started to think... Maybe it's Elon Musk buying all this premium uh, because he seems to have a fascination with that number, particularly if you recall when it related to funding secured. So, um, And by the way, you're going to see as we move forward, there was a ton of option premium in BABA this week and i think more of it actually came in at 420 as well so there you go and second i didn't commit to any party so uh uh you can go back and check the check the tape uh as you can check all the tapes every week and and go back and see what we were thinking when okay your knitting is definitely sector rotation can you help us understand which factors influence sector rotation e.g. nominal bond yields, et cetera. Finally, what's your view on inflation for the next three to five years? Thanks. Short-term inflation, I think. Um, okay. So um, I think last week I covered this. So what I do each week, not excuse me, not each week, every single day, is I go to finviz.com and I just sort by large cap stocks over $2. 39 pages come up. 25 a page it's about a thousand stocks and I just go through them one by one and I just see these patterns that repeat you know over the last you know 10-15 years and I'll see a whole group down for some reason and then I go look at it and um, I start to do fundamental analysis I start to do an earnings analysis I start to look at individual companies I start to get on conference calls and I make a determination is this group uh down for a reason and it's going to stay down or is this a temporary shakeout and that just comes from a lot of experience uh of um of of seeing how these things respond to different conditions and sometimes it's a lot of different conditions so to your point do do bond yields play a factor sure sure they play a factor um when you know bond yields are low tech and yield sensitive sectors do better so that's why when uh and also rate of change has a lot to do with this so that's why when yields went from 100 bips to 175 bips in six weeks tech utilities pharma staples all got crushed in uh, uh february early in the year we start buying them february 24th to to march uh 4th you can look at the two articles they ripped up uh now those pharma staples and um, utilities are consolidating we're going to talk a lot about that and why we think they could have a second leg in coming months as uh, maybe yields stay subdued in the coming months before starting to rise again and maybe ending the year back half uh, closer to you know 190 200 basis points at which time the in anticipation of taper at which time the reopening trade starts to kick in and, and those groups that we think will take a break imminently uh and 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 have to some extent in the last few weeks since we've been talking about it june uh banks and energy and some of the cyclicals uh actually recover and rip higher towards the end of the year uh so we're just looking at best highest and best use and right now we think it's away from cyclicals uh and to these groups they might just grind sideways they may correct but we, we think some of these others that have been doing nothing uh, can now um, or resting can now take take off again. So we're going to drill down into that. Great question, John. And then finally, from Ben, first name only. Hey, Tom, podcast question, please. Has anything changed this week regarding your feelings on the timing of the Iran deal and oil's pullback? Uh, how do you expect this week's OPEC meeting to affect oil prices? Thanks, Ben. Uh, so we uh, Okay, well, maybe I can get right down to those uh, articles. Let's see if I have those. Okay, so uh, the answer is not really. Um, so first off, you're seeing more of this, what we talked about last week, which is uh, Iran restricts IE, uh, IAEA access to main enrichment plant after attack diplomats uh and Iran says nuclear site images won't be given to IAEA as deal has expired. So this is, you know, these are the things that, uh, you know, dictators do when they want money from the developed world is they start to become belligerent. It'll be the guy from uh, North Korea next. He'll be back uh, firing his, his missiles when he needs food and he needs money. Uh, right now it's Iran and this administration more likely is more likely to be amenable to as it has similar actors that crafted the first uh uh iran deal that gave them a lot of money for not doing very much uh expect that to come probably sooner than later uh now that COVID seems to be a little bit more under control uh certainly here in the us it's it's you know really in good shape uh and the focus becomes on geopolitical matters with china and with uh, iran So, uh, yeah, I think I think you could see an Iran deal in the next couple of months. Uh, The market's not focused on it. It's uh, focused on OPEC. The interesting thing about the OPEC deal is the rumors are, uh, first off, the meetings got delayed till Friday as the UAE objects to the new oil deal. So that's interesting. But uh, what they're saying is uh, they may raise in August at a slower pace than they had anticipated they would raise in line with the long-term plan that we started talking about last June when we posted the Rysted data. You can look, I think it was the third week of June. You can pull up the article when we anticipated this whole move in oil. Um, There is an awful lot of excitement from too many people that – that were down on oil when it was $30 and when XLE was um, uh, way down on October 15th when we were hammering. Go look at the October 15th article under uh, the sentiment category on hedgefundtips.com. No one wanted it there. And the same people that not only didn't want it, but made fun of people who did are now the ones buying with it up 100, 150 percent. And when I see dumb money start to get in like that late, um, I my tendency is to think that it's got to be exhausted in the short term. And I think it's got to be a meaningful enough pullback that does not punish those who have been in since... August, September, October, because they're up 100, 150 percent. So uh, 10 or 15 or 20 percent pullback means nothing. They're not going to get shaken out, uh, which which is our case. But those who just bought in because they're, they're reluctantly forced in because they're underperforming. Why? Because energy is the best performing sector. It just had its best uh, first six months of the year in history, uh, and now everyone wants it up forty-five percent year to date for the sector, followed by banks. The two things we pounded on last year, no one wanted this year. Were the best two performance the first six months. So I think with everyone turning uh, at the exact wrong time, my spidey sense from just years of of doing this is that they're going to knock the stuffing out of these Johnny Come Latelys. Whether it's going to be OPEC, uh, you know, screwing up the, uh, tomorrow or Uh, The U.S. doing something silly with Iran. You can count on something or something that we don't know that we don't know. Uh, Some big oil find or whatever it is. It's just going to be enough to take 10 to 20 percent out, which means some individual names will be down 25 percent and um, and all the, the fresh money that's now excited about oil will get pounded and they will have to sell because they will be taking serious losses. They don't have any uh, built-up cushion or margin of safety to just ride it through. So, no, nothing's changed. How do you expect uh, OPEC? Okay, so we covered that. Um, okay, good. So we can get rid of these oil articles. Uh, and here's another thing. oil. Co- oh, this is interesting. Oil companies bet on $100 a barrel as they rush to sell assets. Okay, (laughs) that is an inconsistent headline. So Chevron's selling some assets. And and the point is, they know that if oil got to a sustainable $80, the rig count would just start to shoot up again. Um, OPEC would start to put oil back on the market uh to keep it at a level that would disincentivize massive rig count exp- expansion in in the Permian and in Shell's plays. So Chevron's getting ahead of this and they're smart. They 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 know the game now is not drilling holes in the ground. The game now is to become tobacco companies. That, as everyone's regulating you, you uh simply um return capital to shareholders and that's exactly why the Altrias and the um Philip Morris were some of the best-performing stocks over the last 20 years as they were regulated to hell. The big got bigger. They returned capital to shareholders, and they had unbelievable total total returns. As a matter of fact, um, I wanted to – dividend growth investor um, had a thing out. Uh, I'll see if I can pull it up. I'll see if we have time for a little bit later. But um, okay, so let me just see if I can get this up real quick. So basically, he showed how if you had invested in cigarette stocks when they were you know, becoming to be hugely regulated, then you would have basically doubled your money uh here we go this is this is the exact uh at dividend growth is his handle altria was selling for 26 dollars per share a decade ago it has also distributed $26 per share in dividends over the past decade. So what you bought the stock for, you've received back in dividends. The 2011 investor received their investment back and own stock now worth $47 a share. Oh, and by the way, they also earn a yield on cost of 13.23% today because the dividend has grown. And then I responded to his tweet and I said... This is what big oil will look like over the next 10 years. So that's exactly the story of what you can expect, which is why we've always been promoting high up the food chain, like the Exxon's and Conoco's and that type of stuff. So just think if you buy Exxon at $60 um, over the next 10 years, you get $60 of dividends as they increase uh, dividends over, over the next 10 years. Maybe you won't get that much, but... Um, in terms of dividends and buybacks, the return compounded return might be in that neighborhood compound annual growth rate of total return uh, of capital through buybacks and dividends could very well be uh, in excess of doubling your money and more likely than not you 'll have a dividend yield greater than ten percent on your cost with a stock that 's one hundred twenty or some odd dollars so so I think this is a perfect model to to be looking at as it relates to big oil is look at what what's happened to big tobacco and dividend growth investor laid out the stats that that I tied to uh, to oil and he liked it and obviously agrees he knows the game. Uh, okay, Fed's Kashkari says inflation. Oh, uh, someone asked, uh, oh, but what's your view on inflation over the next three to five years? Uh, It's going to be, uh, John asked, it's going to be higher than trend. Uh, I think, you know, between it's, you know, the Fed target is 2%. I think it'll be consistently between two to 3%. I don't think it'll get out of control because I think that technology is still disinflationary. Uh, We'll have labor from different parts of the world that will continue to be disinflationary. You'll have short-term supply shocks as a result of commodities. Uh, We expect commodities to be strong over the next three to five years, so that'll put upward pressure. But I I think the mean uh, trend line is going to move from 2% to 3%, which means there will be a period of time where it's going to run hotter than 3%, uh, but, but also time that uh, it's, it's going to run below. So I, I think the trend line is just going to be a, a phase shift upwards uh, from two to you know two and a half, 275. Uh, and that's also going to be a function of just demand growth and real growth coming to the economy. 72 million millennials, you can't have that type of demographic boom and housing formation and furniture and baby carts and cars and all the things that drove 1982 to 2000 with the boomers and um you know the 1948 to 1966 same type of boom uh so so yeah it'll be higher than average but I don't think it'll get out of control and the other thing Kashkari says inflation will be temporary workers will return I tend to agree with that, uh, that you're going to see a supply of labor of the 9.3 that are holding out uh, come back after September, a vast majority of them. And that will put downward pressure on uh, wages and hopefully sooner than wage inflation kicks in in a material way uh, because wages are sticky. So you don't want to see in the next few months wages get too high as 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 uh, businesses compete for labor. Uh, because they can't really lower that even after the supply comes back online uh, as much as you would think. So um, so th- those are things to keep on the lookout. The other thing that's happened is a lot of businesses have adapted to people not wanting to go back to work, and they're replacing them with technology. So that will also have downward pressure. Uh, my suggestion, uh, there probably aren't many people listening to this podcast that qualify for this, but if you're sitting at home, Waiting for September, I think it's a mistake for two reasons. Number one, your skills get um, – uh, it, it's the wrong lifestyle mindset, number one. You always want to do more than you're paid for as an investment in your future. It, it only serves you. But number two is uh, when you go back, you'll either be have been replaced by technology or you'll be competing with the other 9.3 million people, half of which are going in, which is going to make you less competitive. You You use this opportunity now – To be in a position where you can accept greater responsibility because your boss needs you more than ever before. And then by the time the other people come back, you'll be at a higher level. And that could be a career jump that keeps you ahead of the pack for decades to come. So uh, jump on the opportunity that is right now with uh, um, businesses and business owners needing labor. It, It enables you to take on more responsibility, to ask for more responsibility to ask for more wages and uh and to really get a leg up on your career that can really set you ahead for a long time to come um okay carl Quintanilla, chase card spending tracker we see you this is jp morgan uh we're now uh 17.9 over two years ago and then changed from pre-covid trend. so we're running 2.8 percent again uh, above the 2019 trend, so it's positive. Obviously, the consumer's coming back, which is nice to see because the stimulus checks, I think, are quite uh, used up by now. I think the last ones were earlier in the year. Lizanne Saunders put out a bunch of stuff. She's from Schwab. You can follow her at Ann Saunders. Uh, <clears throat> of 24 historical occasions that the Dow Jones gained between 10 and 20 percent, the first half a year, only once did it fail to finish the year positive. Uh, Unfortunately, that one time was 1929, the worst ever entry point for equities. But, you know, go with the averages. The conditions are different uh, at this stage. Uh, Full year was positive and you can see this data. So this confirms what Ryan Dietrich over at uh, LPL was putting out with his data that we covered. Uh, this is interesting, other than January 2020, Bloomberg Pure Growth Index just had its strongest month relative to pure value on record. This is what we've been pounding the table on for the last month, which was that it was time to get into tech and to lighten up on some cyclicals, which we did, and uh, and this is what, what's happened. You can go back to our articles on hedgefundtips.com, click on category sentiment or category um, commentary, and then just go back to the articles from early June and you'll see how we were uh, laying this out. And, and that's exactly what's taken place. We think we're going to see follow through. Also, reopening stocks have outperformed stay at home baskets since March 2020 low. Um, but ladder has gained some ground over the past couple months and performance gap is starting to narrow Okay, so what they're saying is, let's see. Da, 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 da. Okay, so they're saying that, that, that some the same thing that, that the last chart said is basically the tech and the growth are starting to get a bid. And we've talked a lot about why that is. It has partially to do with rates. It has partially to do with summer seasonality over the last 20 years. And we'll cover all that. At Macro Charts also put out another interesting uh, chart this week. We talked about him last week. Five-day breath uh, nearly hit 70% among the top 5% strongest since 2009. Concern over breath is another example of traders with, quote, one foot out the door all year i.e. climbing a wall of worry is is what I've been uh, phrasing it as. Pullbacks can happen, but this is now not how bull markets usually end. Follow the trend. And he outlines all the times that you've had uh, five-day advanced decline breadth percentages of similar magnitudes. And you can see, uh, with the exception of two times uh, that were near tops, the, the rest of the times were buying opportunities. And so far, we're seeing that type of follow through. And then finally, I love this chart from Lizanne Saunders. She took it from Glo- uh, Bank of America Global Investment Survey. Tech fund outflows continuing to accelerate. This is from um, the seven-week cumulative as of June 29th. The last time you saw these kind of outflows to tech was January 19th. Look what happened to tech. Let's go back to January 19th. Take a look here this is where you saw look at this this is just hysterical okay January 19th this is where you saw the same type of tech outflows the same magnitude and look exactly what happened same type thing you had a bottom here bottom here and then boom a rally so um, you know that's that's all you need to know um, okay couple. Things I wanted to cover on different indicators we're looking at just to show you that quite a number of them aren't really uh, at extremes. Here's NASDAQ cumulative volume ratio, looks like it's just getting started. NASDAQ declining issues, tricks again, closer to a bottom than to a top. Um, what else are we looking at here? Uh, NYSE Burke high lows. This one's less reliable, but uh, not at an extreme. This uh, material stocks, by the way, this is kind of interesting. Materials have had a big sell off here. Uh, something to keep your eye on as opportunities uh, present themselves. I've looked at a number of the material stocks. Some of them are starting to get attractive, but nothing I'm really like pound the table excited about. But that could change in coming weeks as uh, if, if they get hit. Dow intermediate term breath momentum. Again, You know, closer to where you want to be buying than selling uh mid-cap intermediate term volume momentum oscillator same story uh this one's getting a little elevated on the nasdaq uh McCoyland summation index again looks like it's turning up uh national association of active investment managers this actually uh, prints midday on thursday we put out the we write the articles on wednesday night and put them out thursday morning so again they chased just as usual they Uh, puked out when the market was down now they've been chasing up once again it looks like they've got more room to chase in the next few trading days Uh, now this is interesting PMO buy all this is the uh, percentage of index on PMO crossover buy signals all that is is like a MACD cross it's not that important other than the fact you can see (coughs) where we are. are we like overdone and start to look for Uh, lightening up or on the upside or are we oversold here we're kind of mid-range so again it doesn't point to like dump all your stocks just because we've had a big run same thing with the Dow Jones crossover same thing with the uh, uh, SPX is closer to where you want to be buying historically versus selling like just getting started so there are more indicators pointing to like I'm comfortable having good exposure here i want to be selective on the sectors and we'll talk more about that but um you know there's nothing here you know obviously people point to like oh look at the put call it's down here but you know it's just vix coming off of really elevated levels and that that's the kind of pattern it follows after like heart attacks um which we had last year and then Uh, Was there anything else New York uh, NYSE McClellan Oscillator same thing kind of mid-range The SKU we're going to cover in the article And that's about it. So I just wanted to give you kind of a quick overview on some of the things that we look at Uh, None of them are magic. They're just you know, you look at a bunch of them together and say "Where, where are the Where are the probabilities? Where are the odds? U.S. and Japan conduct war games amid rising China-Taiwan tensions. I like this in the context of uh, this will force China to concentrate on the internal consumption prong of its dual circulation mandate, uh, which has always been a hedge against uh, uh, difficulties with foreign trade coalitions. And uh, this type of obviously we're not going to stand for them taking uh, untoward action towards Taiwan that type of tension may hinder trade it won't hinder BABA if anything the Chinese government will rely more on BABA and invest in BABA to ensure that they get the domestic consumption that is part of the dual circulation they believe they can one day be a total internal consumption economy like the US could be uh, if they had to like 70% consumption That remains to be seen, but the only way they're going to do it is partnering with their biggest and best domestic platforms, namely Alibaba. So that's one of the reasons we love Alibaba. The more this tension persists, the more they need them versus uh, persecute their own, and that, that bodes well. This I love to see. Lee Cooperman uh, plans. his – I know he gets my weekly note and podcast video cast. Whether it had anything to do with his decision to get into Baba, I, you know, I, 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 I'm not that presumptive, and I could care less. I, I think we have a similar way of thinking, um, and um, really super guy. Met him a couple times at um, hedge fund dinners for Mona's Cress Hart. Uh, in the city and um, he's always been very nice when I've reached out and um, and, uh, and and this was great to see. So he was on CNBC this week and he said, so he's basically saying what I've been talking about. So Lee Cooperman plans to stock pick his way to success, not expecting much from the overall market. And we've talked about that, um, you know, rallies under the surface is where money is going to be made. Uh, We don't think the back half is going to be as good as the the front half. Our base case since the beginning of the year was mid-teens returns for the year. Uh, We're already up 14-some-odd percent plus dividends, uh, just over 15% total return. Uh, So, you know, I I don't think it's going to be a straight line to the finish. If we get another few percentage points um, uh, by the end of the year, that's fine. But I do think there's going to be a lot of money to be made under the surface. And... Uh what Lee is saying, let's see, everybody's worried about inflation. Da, 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 da. Uh, okay, watching the dollar. Okay, in terms of individual stocks, Cooper revealed that one of his biggest holdings is fintech company Fiserv, which I totally agree with, uh, which he has said has an attractive valuation. He also owns Chinese internet companies, uh, Baidu and Alibaba. So that was pretty exciting to see. Um I I tend to find myself overlapping with him I'll I'll either be getting into trades or thinking about trades and then he'll come up and I'll be like wow you know that that is good and that's always a good sign this guy's a legend and um and 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 phenomenal um okay Alibaba said to be making its first major investment since antitrust woes What's interesting about this, as I talked about last week with Ant Financial doing the uh, credit scoring system with the government, Jack Ma controls Ant Financial. That's a sign of cooperation. That means the IPO could come out. Alibaba owns a third of that. That's a good thing. Now, this week, um, the Alibaba has teamed up with the provincial government in Jiangsu, among others, to buy a stake in the retail arm of Suning. In a move that could help Alibaba boost its competitive edge against rival JD.com, the deal, which is said to be nearing completion, would add the, add to the 20% stake that Alibaba already owns in Suning, one of China's biggest retailers of appliances, electronics, and other consumer goods. Again, internal consumption, Chinese government dual mandate. The company owned by Chinese billionaire Zhang Jindang is valued at roughly $8 billion, as per Bloomberg. Um, Okay, why it matters. The deal needs approval from state administration for market regulation, the increasingly powerful Chinese antitrust watchdog, and could be announced this week. The report noted the development is being seen as a departure from the antitrust troubles for China after, uh, uh, and Alibaba after it paid a record $2.8 billion fine for anti-monopoly violations. So from adversarial actions, fining, paying, to cooperative actions, um, co-investing, in the same thing and uh, Alipay helping with the digital yuan rollout uh, and and all these things happening. So, so we like the progression here and we think that's going to persist and it's, it will persist more the more the Chinese government needs them, uh, which seems to be uh, improving on a daily basis on that front. Barons had a, I believe, cover story this weekend on uh, utilities. Nextera is the country's biggest electric utility, a leader in renewables. So I think we're going to start to see more of that again. Uh, Netflix, which is a name that we talked about a couple, three weeks ago on uh, the claim and countdown, has had a nice move. Uh, it got upgraded from Credit Suisse this week. Uh, Douglas Mitchelson, from neutral to outperform while maintaining... Uh price target of $586 a share. He says if content is king, Netflix still wears the crown. And we've been talking about the back half slate and the international expansion, et cetera. So we continue to like that. Um, DD went public in the U.S. So that does not imply to me that this administration at $67 billion valuation it does not imply that this administration or SDC is going to be adversarial towards Chinese listings or further delistings beyond the military related ones that have already been um, uh, picked out. Uh, so that that is kind of a green light for Chinese IPOs and Chinese companies, in my view. Um, and we covered the uh, the oil. And then as it relates to inflation, everyone knows lumber prices are rolling over. Grains prices are rolling over. Uh, f- lumber in particular dropped 40% in June, the biggest monthly drop on record. Some of these home builders have really gotten uh, corrected in recent weeks. I think that's going to be an opportunity over the summer to, uh, if you don't have housing exposure to um, to establish some, or if you do have housing exposure and you lightened up when we were talking about uh, lightening up on cyclicals and you want to add back, I think there'll be opportunity this summer to do so. And I think these are going to be secular uh, opportunities for the next three to five years. Uh, This was interesting. Fannie and in Wall Street Journal, Fannie and Freddie Overhaul reboot benefits many mortgage players. While the share of mortgage giants have plunged, stocks of others in the industry may see a boost from a change in policy. And these are particularly um, so. The Supreme Court ruling that a government sweep of the housing giant's profit didn't exceed their regulator regulator's statutory authority, and that presidents can readily replace the head regulator. Was a one-two blow to Fannie and Freddie shares, which are down more than 40% in the last week. Means the Biden administration can now appoint a new chief overseer rather than keep the holdover from the Trump administration, who is seeking to release the companies from government conservatorship during his term. That means, so what they're talking about are the... um, Under uh, President Biden, the GSE's regulator may try to roll back some of those measures or put in place other initiatives with the primary aim of making mortgages cheaper and more widely available. If GSEs were to cut fees or expand the type of borrowers or loans they back, that could increase the market size for firms that originate many so-called qualified mortgages, the type that the GSEs buy, such as rocket companies uwM Holdings uwMC that's a spec with warrants by the way we own a lot of that and uh, loan Depot I think that was a new IPO so uh, so I think some of those are kind of interesting and I think I would think about them as like you think about Chinese stocks get a basket of two or three of them and just you know don't think about them for the next three years we've talked about the Millennials and housing formation over and over this is a catalyst where I think that that this is become a very interesting entry point for those. Um, Boeing, if you recall, is on the claim and countdown a number of weeks ago saying that Reuters sourced uh, that Boeing had been preparing for orders that far exceeded what their uh, orders in the back half of 2022 that far exceeded what they had guided for the front half of 2022. And that manifested this week when United Airlines announced an order for 200 more 737 Max Jets. So that was uh, prescient. Uh, and, uh, and we continue to like that name here. Uh, Morgan Stanley and Wells Fargo doubled their dividends. What it means for their stocks. So we all know that uh, they got the, they passed the stress test. The average uh, return of capital yield between buybacks and dividends is expected to be somewhere close to 10%. So these are going to be great growers. We think that over the summer they may take a breather. This is kind of buy the rumor, sell the news. Uh, Although there was just an enormous amount of call volume in banks today, which I thought was interesting, particularly JP Morgan. Just obscene, like like 64,000 contracts for one strike and 46,000 contracts for another i i still tend to think that they're going to breathe over the summer and if you if you get lucky and you get a pullback of, of 10 or 15 percent, that's kind of your last entry opportunity for the next three years um you know i like to buy things on weakness and sell on strength uh, call me old fashioned, but uh um you know lee cooperman i remember he was on cnbc a year ago and he goes you know i don't understand these new people they they buy on strength and sell on weakness. I made my billions and so did Warren Buffett and so did Mario Gabelli and the whole value mafia. They made all their money buying on weakness and selling on strength. It seems like common sense, but very few people do it these days. Uh, I guess guess I'm old fashioned, but it works well for me as well. So, um, okay, so so that's that. The other catalyst, obviously, for Wells Fargo, which you can't predict, My my guess would be it's closer to... The time of the year, third or fourth quarter, when we think that these cyclical trades are going to really start to rip again, um, uh, which would be removing the asset cap uh, that they that they fell under after the um, false uh, account setup scandal four some odd years ago. So. You know, Am I bearish on banks? Absolutely not. Do I think there are better uses of money over the summer? Yes, I think there are greater opportunities and better ways to use. But we still have our core position in them, and and that's that. The article of the week, this you'll find interesting as it relates to sector rotation, the Luke Combs forever after all stock market and sentiment results. This week we chose.